welcome back to another episode of Lend Me Your Ears. I appreciate you coming back. I uh, kind of left you hanging last episode with uh, what we were talking about, but I just kind of start talking and I forget where we're going. So there's a lot more to go over here. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Uh, where we left off last week is we're talking about hiring. We're talking about getting the people in the door that you want in the door and to build the company the way you want to build it. So now we're going to talk about you've got them, you've hired them, you've interviewed them. What do you do now? They've shown up on day one. So that's where we're going to pick it up. Like I said last week, uh, the way that I was hired was, oh, here's your shirt. Get in the van. Follow me. Do what I do. Keep your mouth shut. And I'm not kidding. That's exactly what I was told was don't talk to the customers. Don't say anything. Don't get in my way, but make sure that you help me. I was a helper. When I started my own company, I wanted to be different. I wanted to lead in a better way. I wanted to grow the company in a different way. Unfortunately, I did the exact same thing. That's all I could do. You know, you hire somebody, what are you going to do with them day one other than get in the van? We got work to do, right? In the beginning, if you're a smaller company, I think that's what you have to do. There's not much else you can do. Uh, if you have some time or some wiggle room, maybe you can put some of these practices into play, but really focus on like I said, turning those technicians that you hire into a mini version of you. They have to be able to do what you can do and say what you can say and understand the way that you do so that they can turn around and train other people and grow your company for you. Once we got to, I think it was two or three vans, um, up to that point, I had hired every single person the same way. Get in the van, hold the light, it was different. Like I said, I'd put that career path in front of them of eventually you can be me and you can uh, be a lead and you can do all these things, but there was nothing else to do other than just follow me. Just do what I do. And then you get into the problem of they get in the way, right? They have questions. They want to know why you're doing what you're doing and you're trying to get the job done. You're at a customer's house. You've got other appointments coming up. You're on a time crunch. You don't have time to be answering questions and to follow them and babysit them. And that's where the frustration sets in. It did for me. And then as we got bigger, I had Max and I had Rick running two other vans and I would hire these people and I put them in the van with them and the same problems would happen to them. They'd come back and they're like, first of all, why did you hire him? <laughs> or it would be, I just can't train them. I don't have any time to put any training in. And then by default, we ended up with the same problem that I had working for somebody else, which was just people kind of blindly following with no uh, actual uh information. They were just doing what they were told. That came to a head really uh, a few years ago. I had an employee went out. Uh, I think he'd worked for me at that point a month. We had two or three vans. We were kind of big. Uh, well, not kind of big. We were bigger than we were. And I put him out with one of these guys I talked about that was an experienced quote unquote lead that I'd hired from somebody else. So I put this experienced lead out with this guy that had only been working with me for a month. I said, what? That's perfect. That's exactly what we need. This is how we're going to train. You know, all this experience poured into the new guy. Boom. Success. That night, and this is back when the company was still in my house. That night, uh, they both come back in and I hear screaming coming from my basement. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I go downstairs. The new guy is screaming at the lead and the lead's just sitting there taking it. I'm like, whoa, what's happening? thinking I was breaking up some kind of personal fight. I thought I was just going to put it to bed right there, go home, sweat it off, and you know, come back. No, no, no. The employee turns and starts screaming at me. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Come to find out, they went to their first job. 
fireplace sweeping. The lead went inside, did the initial uh, inspection overlook, and he's like, yeah, it's dirty. Turns around to the new guy and he says, okay, sweep the chimney. I'm going on the roof. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's how our company operates. The, the new guys are the chimney sweeps because I can teach anybody to sweep, ch- uh, sweep a chimney. It's the easiest part of our job, running a brush, getting everything cleaned out. So that's what he did. Clean the fireplace. I'm going up on the roof. What happened was in the month that this employee had worked for me, nobody had ever taken the time to show him how to sweep a fireplace. Or it just so happened that he never had the chance to sweep a fireplace due to the schedule because he just never saw one for whatever reason. I don't know which one it was. I forget. Point is, he was underprepared. The lead is now left. He's up on the roof looking at the chimney, inspecting, measuring, whatever. The technician's inside with all these tools spread out and the customer's standing over him and he's staring at him. And he's up inside the fireplace trying to take the damper out, didn't know how, fighting with it, struggling with it. And he's got this homeowner just staring at him, watching him, putting that pressure on him. And he's freaking out. He gave it a good shot. Really good kid. uh, Great employee. He gave it a really good try. Couldn't do it. And the more he kept failing, the more he kept freaking out and stressing out. And it was, it was, I can just imagine being in that position to make it worse the lead who's been out inspecting the chimney and doing all the stuff on the roof comes back inside maybe a half an hour later. At this point, he's expecting the chimney to either be already swept or almost done. He comes back in and there's the employee sitting on the hearth with his head in his hands, homeowner standing over him, arms crossed, and they both look at him like, what the heck's going on? Now the lead is upset. Now he's like, why isn't this cleaned? And it just, it, it blew up from there. You can imagine the situation. This is why he was screaming in the basement. This is why he starts screaming at me is how dare you put me out there underprepared. I didn't know what I was doing. I was embarrassed. I was flustered. I can't work under these conditions. Just the whole, I mean, it went from there. I think a couple hours worth of going back and forth. He was right was the problem. And I said that to him, like, you're absolutely right. I assumed that you knew how to sweep a fireplace. That's the basic thing that we do. And the lead assumed the same thing. He's like, oh, he must already know how to do that. So after a month, we thought he was good to go. But we had no way of tracking that. We had no way of of figuring out what somebody knew, what they didn't know. We had no way of actually putting specialized training into place. That whole model of get in the van and do what I do only works so long. And then you get people who don't know what they're doing. And you can't put them in those positions in somebody's house with a time crunch terrible idea. So up to that point, it had worked. I was trained that way. Max, Rick, other managers, uh, other employees were trained that way. And I was like, okay, this will keep working until that day. I was like, something's got to change. Now it's been a long road. It's been three, four years of work getting uh, this model in place. But now when somebody gets hired at Caesar Chimney Service, they don't see a customer's home for a week, sometimes more. When you get hired here, we're going to train you from day one. We sit you down in front of a a slideshow and one of our our hiring manager, Max, will go through this entire slideshow talking about chimney parts. Here's a cap. Here's a crown. Here's a flue. Here's a brick. Here's flashing. I mean, down to the nth degree basic knowledge because here's something for the business owners and the experienced guys out there. We forget how little everybody else knows right? You get into this for 10, 12 years, 15 years, 20 years, some of you 30, 40 years worth of experience. 
Things like explaining what a crown is or what a flu tile is, that's lost on us. If you're trying to train somebody with all that experience, you forget they don't know anything. So you've got to start at square one, sometimes square negative one. Go over everything. Show them pictures of roofs. Show them gutters. Show them pitches. Show them uh, every, everything. Everything. I just can't put it in any other <laughs> words. But like I talked about with the the uh, the initial interview slideshow that we show, we're showing them everything that they're they're going to deal with. Once they get hired, we show them another slideshow and another slideshow. Here's all the parts of a chimney. Here's what the inside of a fireplace looks like. Most people who are getting uh, are applying with us only know what a homeowner knows. They see from the living room. They see the fire brick, maybe a damper. They have no idea what's over that, how they're going to clean that, how they're going to work in those conditions if they don't know what they're going into. So we go into the nth degree with these slideshows. Here's how a cap should look. Here's how they might look. Here's what a flu does. Here's when it breaks. Here's when it spalls. Here's when it shifts. I mean, everything. Then once they've done all that, then we start showing videos. We have videos uh, we've pulled off of YouTube. We have some from vendors. We have some uh, that we've made personally uh, out in the field. We've put together our own little training videos when we find something obscure or even something routine. We have some time. We're like, hey, let's record a video of what a fireplace sweeping looks like or taking wood stove pipe apart, anything. But we have a ton of in-house videos. We'll then show them those. And we just beat that to death for probably a full day. They're just, they got that uh, deer in the headlights look at the end of the day because we just pour that much information into them day one. A lot of that's not going to stick. You know how it is when you sit through a class, it's just, you zone out, you might remember like maybe 10, 20% of it. The next day is where we start hands-on training. At the couple of years ago, we didn't have the space or the, the room to put together a big, massive training facility. But my goal was always just go buy some chimney block, you know, the eight by eight uh, chimney block or the eight by 12 chimney block and build a quick chimney. And that was the first thing we did. We built us a training chimney, maybe 10, 12 feet tall. wasn't very big. We put a thimble in the side of it, put an ash pit door at the bottom of it. And then we filled it with flue tiles. And then we would have technicians install liners inside of those flue tiles and then install a pre-insulated and then pull the tiles out with a tile puller and then break them out. And we'd spend a full day just on that alone. And that was the beginning of our training system that we have right now. We'd get them up there, at least doing some of the hard work. Then that turned into they'd get out there and didn't know how to lift the ladder. And we would assume that the lead technician would show them. But then once again, time crunch, customer's home, job's got to get done. There would be no training. There would just be watch me do it. And lifting a 32-foot ladder, not as easy as we make it look. So then we have ladders being dropped. We have people getting hurt. We have ladders getting damaged. Thank God that didn't break somebody's house, but stuff like that happens because the training wasn't there. Every time one of these issues would come up where somebody either didn't know what they were doing or damaged something or had a complaint about something, we didn't take it as a, a personal dig or you know shut up and figure it out. It's, this is a time to train. How many people don't know this? Because we still... Even with the training we were putting into uh, the slideshows and the, the training chimney stuff like that, people still didn't know what they didn't know. And we didn't know they didn't know it. Then we had to get a training checklist. So now Max has a spreadsheet. On the spreadsheet is all of the, well, not all, but a lot of the tasks that we do. Sweep a fireplace, sweep a wood stove, pull tiles, crown coat, flash seal, pour a crown, install a cap, you know, then 
nail it down even further, bring in the vacuum, take out the damper. Like what do they know? What don't they know? Max's job after the first week of training is to check in on that. What did you learn this week? What did you, what have you uh, gotten better at? And we have red, yellow, green. Red is I've never done it. Yellow is I've seen it done or I've been trained on it. And green is I have done it without supervision. It's been checked and it was good, right? You have to have that kind of, some kind of, uh, marker where you can say, okay, he needs more work on this this week. He says he's still kind of rusty on taking dampers out of a fireplace. So the next time you see one, go over it with him. And now it's on the lead technician. They now have to come back and report to you because they've been told, uh, Bob has issues with this. If it comes up, make sure you go over it with him. And if Bob doesn't go over it, there's got to be consequences. That's your job is to, same thing I talked about last week, when the owner is trying to turn his leads into him, the lead's job is then to turn the technicians into them. That's the only way the company will grow. You have to have that culture of growth. But that comes with everybody, you know, the village, it takes a village to raise a person kind of thing. Everybody's got to be bought into this for it to work. So check up on your technicians. If you hire somebody, don't just assume that they can do it because they watched you do it or they they heard you explain it in the five minutes you were doing it or, or any of it. It doesn't work. It takes a long time for that to sink in. Now we've gotten to the point that I actually built a little house in our shop. We started out with that one little uh, cinder block chimney that we would break tiles out of and put liners into. Then we dry stacked some cinder blocks and made a firebox. And I bought a damper from the uh, quarry down the road and I just kind of dry stacked it in to teach how to take a damper out. And now that's maybe an hour's worth of training on a Tuesday. Before they've even seen a customer's house, they're taking dampers out. They're putting it in. Take it out, put it in, take it out, put it in until they can do it without looking, just like we can, right? None of this is done in a customer's home. I don't want them fighting with it or stressing out or getting uh, flustered and, and you don't want that done in somebody's home. Do it where you can control it and you can fix it and you can correct it before the bad habits start. So started with the chimney, moved to the fireplace. Then we just started acquiring stuff because that's what happens when you do this work. We would have a beat up piece of class A. We had a factory built fireplace we ripped out of somebody's home that was still in decent shape. So we started acquiring stuff and we're like, do you want to throw this away? No, let's use it. We started building little mini training stations, put together a free floating um, class A chimney that led to nothing. We just wanted to show how to sweep it and how to install it, how to take the cap off, how to put it on. We turn the factory built into the same thing. Here's how you sweep it. Here's how you open the damper. Here's how you replace the pipe. Just all of these things started to build up. And then we started running out of room. They were just all over the place, these little training modules. So once we eventually got to the point in our shop where we had space, I'm like, let's build a little home. And we did. We built a 10 by 10 building with a, I think it's a four or five pitch roof just because we couldn't go any higher because of our shop ceiling. But we put a roof on it. We put shingles on it. And then we built that training chimney again, but this time we tied it into the house and we put the thimble through the wall. Uh, we'd put the same class A, but it's still got like five or six dents in it, but it works. We can put it up, we can take it down, we can sweep it, we can connect to it. We put the factory built fireplace in there. We put chimney pipe off of it, built a chase around it, but we left half of it empty so you can still see inside. Put a chase cover on it, um, hooked a wood stove up to the training chimney, we built that same dry stacked firebox, but this time we built it into a partial masonry chase, partial wooden. We put some flues on top of it uh, and framed it in with wood so that we can still see it, 
but it's not a you know full size chimney in our shop. That'd be way too heavy and would never move it. But just whatever you can do. We started out with just a stack of ten feet of cinder block. That's how we started. Something that we could train on, which then led to a stack of cinder blocks with a damper on it. It was just a box. It was a three-sided box that we laid a damper over the top of it and then made them get in there and take it out and made them have to get on their knees and look over their head, get in that weird position. But if there's something that's hard to train in the field, find a way to train on it in your yard or at your shop or somewhere because that helps build a lot more than just the employee. Now, once those employees hit the field, the leads don't have to do nearly as much training and stop and answer so many questions or stop and help because the technician has done it so much. We call it boot camp. That first week is a boot camp at Caesar Chimney. And I'm not even talking about um, like the, the technical side of it, cleaning and sweeping, inspecting and installing, little things. So we show them in the, uh, the interview slideshow what the job could be like. But then we actually get them in our boot camp that first week. We'll find anything to fill that week. And I'm talking about pick up some bricks with the brick tongs. Now go walk around the lot and come back. Okay, you can walk back. Now climb up the ladder and put it on that shelf. Okay, climb up the ladder, take them off the shelf, put them on the ground. Put this flute tile on your shoulder. Climb up on that. It's a 10-foot step ladder. It's not like 32 feet in the air. You know, climb up on there, put the flute tile on the shelf. Bag of mortar, mix mortar. Anything that will get them ready to be in the field so that they don't get out there and go, how the heck do I do this? Lift the ladder, carry the ladder, move the ladder, set the ladder up, take the ladder down, walk around the shop, set it back up, climb the ladder, right? Don't make the first time an employee has climbed the ladder be on somebody's home. Do it at your house. Do it at a shop. Do it somewhere where you can control it and you can let those butterflies out and they can shake a little bit and worry and you can go over, nope, don't hold it there, hold it here. But God, like if I look, if I had started my company with this kind of a mindset, my company would be even further on than it is because just the amount of mistakes and headaches and frustration that we've taken out by just putting this basic training into employees is gold. I'm telling you. So that's the biggest tip I can give you. Train them in-house before you get them out in the field. I know that's hard to do because the schedule's full. We don't have a lot of time. Make the time. Don't make the time in someone's yard or on someone's roof or in someone's living room because you can only do so much. And now you've got undertrained personnel doing a very dangerous job, right? It only just makes sense. So that's the way the Caesar Chimney operates now. Tons of slideshows, PowerPoints, videos, how-tos, hands-on. They're lifting ladders, throwing ladders. And then you set them out into the field. They're out there. We're like, okay, you passed. You did it. You're good. Day one, you're with Fred. So go with Fred. You pull Fred in. You say, okay, he had some issues left in the ladder. Uh, he did really good mixing the mortar. He has no problem taking out the damper. He had no problem sweeping. That's fine. Uh, he did really good with the brushes. Just make sure he doesn't grab, you know, look, just go over little things with Fred, the lead. And now Fred knows what he's up against, what he's got to deal with. He knows he's got a brand new guy, but he knows X, Y, and Z. He needs work on A, B, and C. And that's a plan. That's something to build off of. And then, like I said, you go back and you check every week. Okay. How was your first week? Pull up that spreadsheet of all the little tasks. Okay. What do you, what did you work on? What did you do this week that, you know, really sunk in? Well, I, I mixed mortar. Okay. And how was that? Well, I made it too dry and he got mad. So I had to redo it and, and go over that and put it in, write it down, track it so that next week you're like, all right, he still needs work on mixing mortar. Things that we just think are automatic for these quote unquote helpers. Oh, they're going to mix mortar and foot a ladder. Do they know what that is? Do they know how? Do they know how you want it done? 
train them on it. I cannot harp on that enough. So now, like I said, they're in the field. We have a different way of doing our scheduling here at Caesar Chimney. Every lead gets a new technician every week. And that's done on purpose because I used to be a technician and I used to be a lead. (laughs) And I know how much of a pain in the ass it is to be stuck with the same guy forever. I also know how much it stinks to switch back and forth every other day, having to learn somebody else every day, or he likes this and he likes that and he wants this put here and he learning somebody every other day is too much. Being with somebody for a long period of time every single day, also too much. A week in our, what we found is the perfect time. So every Monday we switch. We have a, another spreadsheet we've printed out. We have the leads names going down the side. We have the technicians names going across the top and they switch every week. So week one, Fred might have Bob and then he's got Dave and then he's got Sam. And the next week it just changes and everybody gets a different outlook. That's by design, not just because of personnel, but because of training, right? If you've got somebody, a lead that's not really good at doing a certain thing and you're still working on him, but now he's training all your employees, you don't want him training that person for a long period of time. They switch out. They, I'm sorry, did I say lead? I meant tech, whatever. You get the idea. They get a more well-rounded training. If they're seeing everybody do the same job rather than the same person doing the same job, and then they become focused on how this person does it because there's many many ways to skin a chimney cat that's something i had to learn as a as a business owner and a manager is i wanted things done my way this way because i've done it i've already tried the other ways don't even bother trying it because i've done it do it this way because i said so that's how i was trained and that's who i became it was a terrible place for me to be because then i turned into that micromanager I would watch somebody repoint a chimney, but they weren't holding the trowel exactly how I would hold it. And they weren't holding this and they weren't standing that way. So I'm like, no, stand here, move this, hold this, stand. Okay, crouch down, hold your elbow up. And I'm like molding this person into me. When if I just left them alone for five minutes, they would have found their own way and the chimney still gets fixed, right? A lot of us business owners need to hear what I just said. As long as the job gets done correctly and safely, let them figure their own way of doing it. 99% of the time, they're going to end up doing it the way that you do it. But if they're only doing it because you said so, they're just following rules. They're just doing it because, well, I have to. But if you let them experiment a little bit, try this, try that, move around. Yeah, it's going to take longer, right? It's going to take longer. They're going to screw it up half the time. Okay. You got to be okay with that. I wasn't, I was that guy like, oh, you screwed up one joint. Give me that. Give me the trowel. Go over there. Go clean up. I'm going to finish. You can't be like that. Not only was I a micromanager, but I was a terror when I was up there. I was became a running joke that if you don't do it right the first time, John's going to take the tool out of your hand and he's going to do it for you. So make sure you get it right on the first time. Now I've got terrified technicians. They can't make a mistake because I'm going to take their job away from them. Terrible. So don't do that. Let them experiment. Let them try different things. Like I said, 99% of the time, they're going to fall back into what you want anyway. But there is that 1%. I had a, a technician that was working for me, Max, and he was my one of my first uh, employees, and I was pouring into him, making him a little mini-me, and he would always have these ideas. Let's try this. I'm like, no. Well, what if we tried this? Nope, tried that like five years ago. didn't work. And I di- that just kept happening. And then one day I tried one of his ideas, and it actually worked. I can't remember what it was now, but he likes to remind me of that. <laughs> but let them try certain things. Just because it didn't work for you, 
he's a different person. He's a different size than me, different personality type, different age, like whatever the difference is, just because it didn't work your way for you doesn't mean it's not going to work that way for him. So let them try. And when they find their own way to get the same job done, as long as, like I said, it's done right, it's done to code and it's done safely, I don't care how you do it, but do it. And that was a lesson I had to learn the hard way by just beating my employees into submission. It doesn't work. But back to the assignments. So every week they rotate through. You get a much more well-rounded training. Everybody gets a better experience and they're not stuck with the same person for very long. And then you get personnel issues. Also, I should bring up the fact that a couple years ago, we made a rather odd decision. Up to this point, we would have one lead and one technician on every team. And they would go out and they would sweep chimneys, inspect chimneys, service chimneys, repair chimneys, and it would always just be two people. That's the way that I was trained. That's the way that I did it. The problem then arises, let's say a technician gets sick, right? It happens, gets injured, has to take a vacation. Something happens where that technician can't come in that day. The whole van gets wiped. The whole job schedule for that day has got to go away because one person didn't come in. So as our company got bigger, we're now up to two, three, four vehicles. And we're like, all right, we've got a, a nice size chim- uh, company we're working on. Let's run with this. And then Fred calls out sick. I'm like, well, what are we supposed to do? We got you know four jobs on today's schedule and now we have no technician and now we're scrambling and we can't figure it out. We're rescheduling and people are mad. I realized the bigger a company gets, you're going to have bigger problems, more chance for something like that to happen, an injury, a death in the family, an emergency, a vacation, a sickness, something that's going to hold your work up. So I said, what if we hire more people? Didn't make any sense at the time. But then I started to flesh it out. I'm like, let's see, we have four vans, four leads, four technicians. What if we hire an extra guy and we have five technicians? What that turned into is what we now call floaters. So we still have, right now, I think we have seven vans, seven leads, seven technicians, but we have three floaters because it has to go up as the company gets bigger. What the floaters are is They go through the same training, same certification, everything else, but we rotate the floaters through each week as well. But now if you have a bigger job, it's a bigger demolition, it's a bigger rebuild, it's just a worse job, you just need an extra set of hands on that job, we have the guy for it. So most of the time, we have three guys on a job if it's a really, really big job. Or somebody finishes early and they need an extra hand, the floater can then bounce over and float to their job. So we get extra hands all around. But what it also does is that if Fred calls out sick and now the jobs are all in jeopardy of being rescheduled, one of the floaters can jump in because we've overhired. Then what will happen is this whole more well-rounded training I'm talking about, uh, you know, rotating through and getting to see six or seven different ways of doing the same job. Same thing happens with the floaters. We've now gone from the newer guys being floaters to now the most experienced guys are the floaters because now you're on a job and you need help. You want to call the office. You want to talk to the manager. You want to talk to an owner. You want to get somebody else's experience. Now you have a seasoned person with you, somebody that's been around long enough to know what they're doing. And you get not just a third set of hands, but you get a third set of eyes and a third mind to go, okay, let's try this. Let's go over here. It's a beautiful it, it, it's worked in more ways than I can describe. Over hiring. Now, somebody can take a sick day. Somebody can call out. Somebody can be a no-call, no-show. Yeah, they're going to be fired. <laughs> but 
the jobs aren't going to suffer. That was the biggest thing. When we first started it, we only had the one or two floaters and they were technicians. They were extra hands to help out the leads. Then the problem became, what if a lead calls out? What if he gets sick? What if something happens and he goes on vacation? How are we going to lose work? You know, we have to shut a whole van down for the day or for the week. Then we started training for leads that aren't have people that are experienced, like I was just talking about. They're certified. They've been around long enough to know right from wrong and how to do, but they're not a lead yet. That's now our middle ground. The middle ground between technician and lead is floater. They're certified. They know what they're doing. They can help if need be. But if a lead doesn't come in for whatever reason, they can now run out and they can do the work. It's all about keeping the machine moving, not shutting it down. What I talked about a few weeks ago, Mark Stoner's story of when he got hurt, fell off a roof, and his whole company shut down, and that changed his mindset of, you know, I, if I get hurt or if I miss work, money stops. Well, as you get a bigger company, you're growing that company, the same problem happens within the company. So you're now, the owner now is out of it, hopefully, and he's working on the business, not in the business. But if anybody in the company now falls apart, work stops for whatever reason. Our way around that is the floater overhire, overtrain, get more people on on board so that if anybody falls out now, somebody can take their place. That's teamwork. It's not a me thing. It's not a, you know, I have to because now anybody can fill in at any time. You get extra technicians, extra hands, extra floaters, extra leads, and everybody's interchangeable so that we can fill at a moment's notice and the machine keeps going. So I got way off track again. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah. So we're talking about the training, talking about boot camp, talking about the assignments, getting people floating and rotating through. So now your technician has been hired. He's trained for a week. He's had a boot camp. He's now been out in the field for four weeks. He's been with four different leads. He's been in customers' homes. Now it's review time. Once again, something I didn't do for a very, very long time just because I didn't have the time. I just couldn't be bothered with it. I would assume once again that this employee knows how to do X, Y, and Z and everything's going fine and I'll just, you know, see him next week. Reviews. We now have peer-to-peer reviews, meaning it used to be me that would do it. Then it would be Max or Rick as a manager. But then the problem was they would only see that technician once because he was in their van, but then they'd have to guess the rest of it and interview the other leads he was with and how was he and they don't remember. So now what we do is we have a review sheet. We made up a list of 10 questions with one through five as an answer, like how dependable is this person? Five being the most dependable, one being the least. And then we have 10 questions like that. Uh, How are they with the customer? How are they cleaning up? How are they in the mornings? How are they whenever? Have the leads every week review the technician they had for that week. So at 10 uh, questions, five points apiece, you know, I got 50 possible points. And that's what we used to go off of a total of 50 and then see how many uh, points you get. Since then, we've added to that. Now we have uh, an overall score and we have a knowledge quiz that they take, which is kind of fun to do. Uh, We put together three different levels of a knowledge quiz, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And we had to, uh, like I talked about before, we had to remember what does a new guy know? Like if we've been in this for a very long time, we live and breathe chimneys like a lot of us do. It's hard to remember what we didn't know at 30 days into our job. Very little. (laughs) So go back and, and bring it down to the nth degree of, okay, what should they know after only having done this job for 30 days? 
and then quiz him on it. Things like, what is the area above a damper called? Some technicians don't know. They're like, ah, oh, this, uh, the, the flues, uh, I don't know. What is the, what's the name of the opening at the bottom of a chimney to get the debris out? They don't know. So quiz them on it. Little just job knowledge. And then you can get specific with it. We have, uh, what we call red and yellow nut drivers just because it's easier to remember the, the, uh, the color than the number. But in all hardware stores ever, if you get a, red nut driver or socket it's usually a quarter inch it's just the way they did it if you get a yellow it's five sixteenths a lot of the nuts and bolts and hose clamps we deal with use either a red or a yellow so we have different bits to match quiz them on it what size is a red nut driver what size is a yellow nut driver which drill do you use for this which you know how do you do that so they have a quiz they have to take after 30 days here we're not even getting into like certification type education. We're just talking basic, basic knowledge. What's the name of the passageway inside the chimney? You'll be surprised how many people won't know flu after 30 days. Surprises the hell out of me, but it still happens. So quiz them on it. So now you have 20 extra points or however many questions you come up with. Now, between our reviews from the leads, their overall score, their knowledge quiz, now it's out of 100 possible points on your reviews. Then we have a grading scale. And it's literally, I pulled it right out of when I went to school. 90 to 100 is this. 80 to 90 is this. 60 to 70, right? It's, it's that basic. We all went to school. We all had a grading scale. So ours is, if you end up with, after going through four weeks, four different leads, all four leads have now done a review for you, we then take the four answers from each lead, add them together, average them. That's key. Because if you get a bad week with somebody, the lead was having a bad week, the technician was having a bad week, they just don't get along together for whatever reason, it happens a lot. You'll get one lead that's going to damage somebody's career. Happens. Or one bad week, damage somebody's career. Now we average them. So you might get three really good scores on this tech and one really bad one. Doesn't hurt that much because when you average it out, ta-da, it actually makes sense. Four leads, four scores, averaged out. They take their knowledge quiz. All of it gets added together for a total out of 100. If they get a 90 or above, they get a double raise of whatever our standard raise is at that time. I think it's double raise. I'll have to look at it again. But then 80 to 90 is a regular raise. Uh, 70 to 80 is half of what the normal raise is. Uh, 60 to 70 is no raise. They don't get a raise. They got to get some counseling, something or more training, something like that. But if you get, I think it's either a 50 or a 60. If you get below a certain point, it's automatic termination. And we put that number in there. I think it's under 50. We put it in there as kind of a laugh. We're like, yeah, it's an F in school. But here, I mean, if you're going to, if you can't answer the knowledge quiz, 20 basic questions, and you have four different people averaging out to something that low, that's really, really bad. They shouldn't even be here. And we made that up as a worst case. Because like nobody's going to get that low. We started getting a lot of 70s, a lot of 80s. Once in a while, get a 90 here and there. Recently, we got our first less than 50. And we didn't know what to do with it. Max came to Rick and I and he's like, you guys got to look at this. And we looked at it. And sure enough, we had a new hire that after 30 days bombed their review. And and I'm like, this is really bad. (laughs) Like, and... None of us like to fire either. I think I talked about that before. We're not, we don't, 
we have that motto of hire slow, fire fast, but that's a lot easier said than done. It's terrible to do. I hate firing people. You put this time, this energy, get to know them. They're part of your company, part of your family. It's just, I don't like it. And then it just happened. And we had to stick with her because we put it out there. We show all the employees this grading scale. If you get below this, then ta-da. So we had to let somebody go for not meeting our review requirements after 30 days in. That's what, that's how important this is to us. We're going to train you. We're going to put you out there. We're going to pour everything we have into you. The whole company rallies around you. We put all this training time, effort. And then after 30 days, we're going to check in. We're going to inspect for what we expect, right? We expect you to know these things. We expect everybody to uh, be able to work with you. But if that doesn't happen, move on. Don't put a lot of extra time into that because, God, if I had a review system when I was two or three or four years into business, what a different company I would have. We didn't have this till way too late. Now it works, but we did a little late. So have a way to check up. Like I talked, and that doesn't even, uh, the review doesn't count with the spreadsheet I was talking about. We check in on actual uh, performance. How well are you at taking out a damper? How good are you at removing tiles or pouring crowns or whatever the case may be? So we're always checking up on our technicians, making sure that they're actually improving and they're paying attention. It It has done wonders for our company. The incentives that we talked about before, when I hire somebody, we tell them right out the gate, review base raises every 30, 60, 90 days, six months. They know those are coming. You're going to have to put up with whatever we find out good or bad, and we're going to train you hopefully and get better. There's also certification raises. We put it out there. Here's these different uh, educations you can take and different certifications you can attain. Once you get them, it's a dollar raise. It's a $2 raise per hour, and now it's on them. We don't worry about keeping up with them. Hey, should we get this guy certified? Hey, should we uh, you know, put training or whatever? It's up to the technician. I have training hosted at my place all the time. We'll go to somebody else's training. We travel for training a lot. I'll bring you to the trainings, but if you don't actually absorb it, if you don't use it, if you don't retain it, then that's on you. You can just stay a technician and you can stay at that base level as long as you want. But a lot of them, almost all of them, start to climb that ladder early because they see it. Different technicians have different motivations. Some people like money. A lot of people like money. Some don't. Some like time off. Some like uh, the titles. Some like, there's many different reasons they can like uh, what they're shooting for, but it's not always money. A lot of them it is, so we give the, the certification raise, but time off or uh, vacation or titles or management Find out what makes your technicians tick, what they really want, and then give it to them. Don't dangle it like a carrot they can never attain. Give it to them, literally. Let Make them earn it, but make sure that they get rewarded for it. Our guys are rewarded all the time, almost to a point that I'm starting to wonder if we're spoiling them, but it works, so we're going to keep doing it until it doesn't. But their path is self-paced. We can check in. We're there to inspect for what we expect. We're there to check in and to review. But really, each technician knows that they own their career path. We can't do it for them. So on the topic of certification, just give as much education as you can. Uh, we always try to get our technician CSIA certified. It's not always the case. Some of them just aren't ready. They've been around for a long time. They know the job. It's fine. Uh, they just don't want to get certified. They're not good test takers. Whatever the reason is, we work with them or they don't have to. It's completely up to them. 
But certification does not equal being a lead, which is something we make sure to drive home to our technicians because they think, oh, once I get certified, then I can start running a van. Yes. Same trap that I fell into, same trap that another employee of mine fell into. He got certified. He took one test and thought he could run the world. That's not the case. This job, you there's no way to get good at being a chimney technician unless you do the job. That's the only way to do it is just by doing it, screwing up, learning from your mistakes, figuring it out, making it work. And then a couple of years down the road, all of a sudden something clicks. You're just good at it overnight. You didn't realize it happened and you're just good. It happened to me. Like I told you, uh, I think in the first episode of this podcast, I didn't plan on being a chimney sweep. I was just doing it to pass the time. And then over the course of a couple of years, somewhere in there, I just got really good at it. I don't know. And I was like, I kind of get this now. Let's go with this. I've seen that happen with my employees. They'll come in for the first year or so. Sometimes they're not 100% bought in. There's still a job to them. They still just want to make some money. Still maybe got a foot out the door looking around. But after a couple of years, something clicks and they're just like, yes, I'm in. I get it. I'm driving around now and I keep looking up at all the chimneys. One of my employees, like I was out at a bar and I was hanging out this weekend and the guy next to me mentioned his fireplace and I just turned and I was like, you got a fireplace? And he starts talking to the guy at the bar about sweeping annually and he goes, what the heck is wrong with me? I'm like, you bought in. That's huge. So it takes everybody a different time to get to that point. I've had employees get bought in and just click after a year. I've had some for two, two and a half, still not bought in. That's okay. So everybody's not on that same path. Just know that it's hard to stick to a schedule and say, by this time, you're going to be certified. And by this time, you're going to be a lead. Everybody's different. Work with them, talk to them, train them, always be there for them in whatever way they need. Give them all the education, but know that everybody's on their own path. I actually have had two, three different employees leave for different reasons. All three came back. And I'm, these aren't people that were fired for cause or had like issues or, you know, that we didn't want back. I'm talking one of them. Uh, we had a technician come in that told me from day one, he goes, I'm going to be an electrician. I said, okay. And I still hired him. And he goes, why'd you hire me if, if I'm going to leave? And I was like, well, because you want to work. And while you want to work, I'll work with you. He stayed around. Uh, he was two years away, I think, from do- finishing school. So I was like, all right, I'll, give me two years and, and we'll have a deal and you can leave and it's fine. No hard feelings. Six months in, he comes to me and he goes, I have, I have to leave. I'm like, why? What you you know, a year and a half. And he goes, no, 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 I have to leave. And he wouldn't tell me why he wanted to leave so badly. And one day I called him on it. And I was like, are you leaving now? Because you're scared if you stay here, you won't want to leave. And he goes, yeah, you're right. And I was like, that is the best thing I could ever hear. I was like, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. I, I appreciate your honesty on that. But that's the kind of company I run is the employees that come in, once they buy in, they're bought in. It's a, it is not cliche when I say we're a family. We are. I treat everybody in my company as if they were family, good and bad, discipline-wise, reward-wise, advice-wise, all of it. But it's one big family. And once you're in, it's really hard to get out. This particular employee did leave after those six months, and we hated to see him go. One of our best technicians, hard worker, good head on his shoulders. A year and a half later, he actually came back and he now works for Caesar Chimney again. He said by leaving, it actually hurt worse because when he went out and finally got to work for this other company in this electrician trade that he wanted to, he said the work was there, the job was there, it was what I wanted to do. But he said the company wasn't the same. 
He says, you ruined it for me. I can't work anywhere else and have as good a time as I do working here. And I'm like, that is once again, the greatest thing you can tell me as a business owner. And I thanked him for it. And he now works for me again. So just be there for your employees, train them, pour everything you have into them, every bit of knowledge, every bit of technique and tricks and tips and education, certification, all of it, throw it all at them. You'll be surprised that you can create rock stars. I have guys coming to me that used to work at McDonald's, Amazon, movers, meat packers, police officers, military, all over the place. I don't hire chimney sweeps. I don't even really hire trained tradespeople. I have high school kids. I mean, if you get any green person in the door that is willing, but maybe not able, or crap, if they're willing and able, even better. But if you get those people, pour into them. Don't just stick them in a van and tell them to shut up and follow you. Don't just have them help you. Don't ignore them. Don't treat them like they're beneath you because that's the future of your company. Even if you want to stay a one-truck operation, you're not going to get people that just want to sit in your van and just stare at you for the rest of their lives. They're going to leave and you're going to have high turnover and you have to repeat it and you're going to get frustrated. Pour into these people. I promise you, you'll get the results you're looking for. I always get a lot of people that bring up uh, non-compete clauses. That's a great uh, way to keep people working for you. I hear is, you know, make them sign this contract. Now they can never leave or they, if they leave, they can't work for, you know, another chimney company or whatever. I want you to know that it's crap. <laughs> That's not legally binding in the trades. If you worked for some computer software company and you were making apps or banking or something, you had some kind of inside trader knowledge, absolutely non-compete clauses are a thing. I've done my research on this. In the trades, if somebody is skilled with their hands, you cannot stop them from making money with those hands. That's the law. So if you work for a chimney company, masonry company, something like that, and you make them, your employees sign non-compete agreements, I want you to know it doesn't hold water. Because if you're keeping them from making money with a skill they have, you're wrong and it won't hold up in court. That being said... I was asked to sign a non-compete years ago and I worked with somebody else and I told them, no, this is when I started doing that, that, uh, investigation into this to see if I had to and find out it wasn't, uh, legally binding, but that's a crappy way to keep employees. I just want to put that out there. If you, if you have to force your employees to stay with you, you're not going to get loyal, loving, trusting employees. You're just going to get people that work with you because they have to. Instead of making people sign agreements so they can't leave, how about turning your company into a place that they want to stay with? That's all I did. I didn't do anything magical or any contracts or anything. All I did was empower a bunch of young men and women to do a crappy job in crappy conditions and have fun doing it. And my company's grown. Nothing special, no magic serum to this. Everybody, you know, where do you get your people? I get them anywhere. I get referrals from other employees. That's the company that I'm building is my employees come here and they do this. And I tell people that in the interview too. This job sucks. <laughs> it really does. We're up on three, four stories in the air on a sketchy roof in 100 degrees or 10 degrees or rain. We're sweeping and we're dirty and we're lugging bricks and we're killing ourselves doing this job. Job sucks. But we have fun doing it and we have fun together. I literally say those exact words in the interview, and now Max does as well, because it's true. Nobody wants to do this work on purpose. This is, you look at it from a 10,000 foot overview and you're like, nope, <laughs> no, no thanks. But 
people come here and they stay because we have fun. We're a family. We treat each other with respect. We have team mentality. I've created a company where I don't want people to want to leave and they don't. Usually we have to force them out, unfortunately. And the ones that do leave usually come back going, ah, I miss this place. <laughs> but, you know, like I said before, I had employees that left for other reasons. They saw dollar signs. They were like, oh, wow, he, you know, I see these checks that I'm bringing in and John must be rolling in it. He's loaded and I can do this. If I can do it for him. I passed that test that showed me how to sweep a chimney so I can go run a company. Right. That happened to me a couple of different times. Instead of letting it completely destroy me because somebody left, one, usually those people that leave are a cancerous attitude that you don't see. The cancer is spreading outside of your building walls or in a van that you're not in. It's away from you when you don't see it, but they're slowly undermining your company from the inside out, making people miserable, saying things, starting rumors, all of that. So when they do leave from the top end down, it looks like, oh no, our company's going down. We just lost one of our lead producers or we lost one of our lead guys or top sellers, whatever. Every single time this has happened to me, the company has grown from it. Attitude, morale, work ethic, production, all of it through the roof. And I've now lost probably half a dozen employees of that nature, lead guys, top guys, and they leave. And I think we're all going under and the company shoots straight up afterwards because they're cancers you don't see. But aside from that, I started thinking about that, that whole mentality of, well, I see these checks that John's bringing in. And he must be loaded and we're just sitting here working for, you know, 15, 16, $20 an hour. I can do this for a lot more. Got me thinking. A lot of employees think that they think, and if you're a business owner, you're probably laughing right now because we don't make as much money as people think we do. It's just not possible with taxes and expenses and overhead, but the employees don't know that. I worked for a guy or my last employer. And he kept everything all very hush-hush. He's one of those that you can't see the estimates and you can't see the materials and you can't see the orders and you can't even, I don't want you in the house when I'm talking turkey with the uh, customer because I don't want you to see dollar signs. He said that to me. I don't want you to be around when I'm talking over the estimate because I don't want you to think I'm made of money. I'm like, that's a weird thing to say, whatever. So he, you know, kept me out in the van. I had to go outside whenever the money's talk started. That's the kind of person he was, very fearful of everything. I know other companies like this as well. Only the owner can do the estimates. Only the owner can do the, the the ordering and see the numbers because, ooh, if they know how much money we're making, they're going to want it. That's that fear-based leadership I was talking about before with the training. What if I train them and they stay? What if you don't train? Or what if I train them and they leave, right? But this is the same thing, that fear. There was a second where I started to think that. I'm like, oh, God, everybody else is going to think the same way. They're going to think I'm loaded and they can do this. And my whole company is going to leave and start their own. So I was like, how do I fix that? Three years ago, I started what we call the profit and loss game. I took my P&L after the first of the year. It had all been settled and everything was uh, done. I printed it out and I went over it and I found 15 to 20 different line items. Nothing major, but like some big ones, some small ones too, like job materials, how much we spend on job materials, payroll, taxes, fuel, uniforms, uh, disposal fees, toll fees, big, little, didn't matter all over the place. I pulled out, I think the first time I did it was 15. So I took out 15 different numbers and I took out $150 in tens, put it in my pocket and I went to work. And I said, all right, one of the morning meetings, I said, we're going to play a game. We had this big whiteboard. I gave everybody a different marker. And I said, everybody, we're going to play the price is right. I'm going to read off something from last year. 
and you write your guess on the board for how much we spent on that. Let's start out with a fun one. Payroll. All the employees took a marker, they went and they wrote on the board their number, and they wanted to get closest without going over. I'd wait for everybody to write their number, and then I'd read off the actual number we spent on payroll, and then hand out $10 to whoever got closest without going over. It was fun. And we went right down the line, 15 different topics. How much did we spend on uniforms last year? How much did we spend on gas? How much did we spend on the dumpster outside? How much did we spend on rent? Phone bill, whatever. After 15 of those, a lot of people went away with money and everybody was happy. But I actually had two or three of the employees pull me aside later. And they're like, John, can I talk to you? I'm like, yeah, what's up? They're like, come here, come on. So are you trying to tell us that we're, we're like, we're going under? <laughs> like, do we have a job? Are we okay? That's a lot of money. Like, are we, are we okay? And I would laugh and I'm like, yeah, we're good. But I got the point across. If you're hiding all of these things from your employees, the money that you're spending, it's, a, you know, it's one thing to hide the money you're making. That's, I don't agree with it, but fine. But let them know how much you're spending too. My employees see all the numbers. All of them. They see money coming in, money going out. They see bills. They see payroll. Like, oh my God. And it, we talk about it a lot. Like to me, our payroll last year was a lot of money. We spent $600,000 on payroll for one year. So our overall number is good. People are like, oh, you're such and such a million dollar company. Great. How much did I spend out of that? So last year we spent 600000 and I'm like sweating when I think about that number. That's a lot of money to spend. Went to Mark Stoner's in Nashville for the business symposium, and he's talking up doing his class. He talks about his numbers. His payroll is $100,000 a week. And I'm sitting in the back, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm over here freaking out over 600000 for the year. My payroll for my entire company is the first six weeks of the year for Mark Stoner. He's not even out of February and he spent my entire payroll already. I'm like, that's insane. Put it in those perspectives for your employees. It's not about how much money comes in. Sure. Lots of money come in. Lots of bills lot, or uh, uh, contracts or sales or orders or whatever you're seeing. Yeah, they see those numbers, but let them know it takes a lot of money to run this company. I had an employee come in a couple months ago that was bragging about his sales numbers. Oh, I got these many sales and I got this and I'm booking a lot of money. And I said, that's great. And then he starts mouthing off about how important he was and he's not with us anymore, but whatever. At that time he was, and I was like, come here. And I sat him down at my desk. I just happened to be going over our P&L for our quarterly meeting. And I said, have a look at this. I was like, here's what we've spent just this quarter right now. And he's scrolling through it and his jaw dropped. He's like, we've spent that much on, on Indeed. I'm like, yeah, we've spent that much on Service Titan or on our phones. And you've spent that much in payroll already. I'm like, yeah. Like it, employees don't understand how much goes into being a business owner. So in my company, I share it all. Here's how much we make, but here's how much we spend. They respect it. And funny, they turned around and they worked harder after that profit and loss came. They're like, wow, it takes a lot of money for you to run this. Let's go help you make more money. I was like, there you go. All my guys are paid on commission. So they get it. When they go out and they do more work, they get paid more. I take that back. I don't like the word commission. Sounds like my guys sell. I hate sales. I know a lot of people in this industry do, and that's fine. Alan Rush, if you're listening, I still love you. You can call it whatever you want. We at Caesar Chimney don't sell. We service. 
we get paid, quote unquote, on commission, but really it's a piece, right? They get paid for what they do. I don't care how much you sign a contract for or get a homeowner to want to do. That's great. That means you've done a good inspection report and they needed it. Sales just to me implies that you're pushing or you're, you're selling something the customer didn't need. So that's my personal opinion. I know a lot of sales guys and they're great, but our guys get paid based on how much they do. So if you sell a $10,000 repair, but you go out to do it and actually only did half of it for either the homeowner didn't want to do all of it, or you couldn't do all of it, whatever, you only get paid on the work that you have done. Just put that out there for a side note, but I am rambling. And this one has actually gone a heck of a lot longer than I wanted it to. That's what happens for me not actually looking at the uh, timer. So, sorry for the long one. Uh, it was a big one. As you can see, I'm really passionate about our, our hiring and our training. So, with that, I'm going to let you go. I won't take up any more of your time. Thank you for lending me your ears.